this is Luke chapter 2, verse 22 to 35. And when the time came for their purifi- came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you that for your word, Lord. We thank you that we can gather here today, Lord. Um, as a people, we thank you that, that you are the truth and that, we, that you teach us the truth, Lord. Um, yeah, Lord, we just, we just acknowledge, Lord, there's so, there's so much stuff going on in the world um, which is counter to you, Lord, but... Mm. You are our rock and you are our foundation, as, as Dan was saying earlier, Lord. So we just pray that we will be built up today, Lord, as a family um, and in you, Lord, prepared to go out into the world and be those who will change the world. Um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, Jaden. Today we're going to focus on this man that we just read about, a man called Simeon, uh, who we read about when Jesus is presented in the temple as a baby. And at the heart of this small passage is in the book of Luke. This is in the Gospel of Luke. In the heart of the passage we just read is a prayer, and one which has been written down for our benefit. You think about what Paul says to Timothy in his letter, where he says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And that promise which Paul gives to Timothy saying, look, all of scripture, all of the Bible is from God and is profitable. And that includes this text that we have here. Essentially, Jesus wants to teach us through this brief mention of a godly man who had the opportunity when nearing the end of his life to come face to face with Jesus, a baby Jesus, a young Jesus. And he, God wants us, as Timothy said to Paul, he wants to train us in righteousness and righteousness is a quality which this man was known for. And as we go through this text, I want to look at this man as, as an example. Because there are many things about him which are good and admirable. 
But also I want to take time to focus on his prayer, what he prays and how he prays, and then how that can address how we pray as well. So let's begin to unpack this text and begin to look at this man, Simeon. So we read the, the few verses before from verse 22. We read a few of the verses just to get the kind of context of what is going on, how Jesus is being brought up to, um, to Jerusalem, to the temple, with, by his parents, as was custom. And it is there that we read of, in verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem, and this man's name was Simeon. And the Bible says that this man was righteous, and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was was upon him. Simeon, the Bible describes this man as righteous. Some translations will translate that word as just. This man was righteous, this man was just. The author of this book, Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, notes that Simeon was a righteous man. And if you were to look at the original Greek word, it could be translated in kind of in referring to character or act, so character or deed. It could be translated as innocent, holy, just, righteous. More times than not, this refers to our standing before God. Basically, to be righteous is to have a right standing with God to be right with God, to be blameless before God, to be innocent before him. And this righteousness is a state between us and God, but then also out of that state, which we'll talk about in a second, will then flow deeds of righteousness, or deeds which are befitting a person who has a right standing with God. But if you have kind of read through scripture, there's a slight problem we come across, which is found in Romans, because Paul says this, and as Paul says this, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. It says this in Romans 3, verse 10 to 12. Paul writes this to the Romans, where he says, As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, Together they have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. None. No, not one. Not one. All, not even one. There is all the different ways he says it. There is no escaping this stark truth that is presented us by Paul, which is this, that none of us are righteous. So, taking into account that verse, and then the verse we read about Simeon here, he's described as righteous in the very same book that says, there is no one righteous. How do we explain that? And we've seen other times in, in, throughout Scripture that people are referred to as righteous. And I think as, we, as you go through Scripture, the answer to that is this, that none of us are righteous in and of ourselves, but rather we are made righteous. All of us are born unrighteous. You see, our very nature is not one of innocence. Our very nature is not one of blamelessness, but rather it is one of guilt. And I think even if you were to ask those who are not Christians, 
we must come to the natural conclusion that there is something inherently wrong with us. And it's amazing because we can often see the fault in everybody else and we fail to see the fault in ourselves, right? We look on the news and say, how could that person do this? Or how could this person do this? You know, I was at work yesterday, for example, and a, a couple of guys were saying, oh, this, basically there was a train crash in, in Italy and a guy was posing for a selfie behind the crash with a smile. And, it's kind of like, and they, were like, they were complaining, like, man, look how sick our world is, is that we're so self-obsessed that in moments of tragedy we think it's a great moment for a selfie pic. You know, and they were complaining about, man, how messed up people are, but the truth is, we're, we're just as messed up. And we're very easy to be able to see other people's brokenness, but we fail to see our own. The truth is that in our own, we see, on our own, we have, we, do, we are not righteous. And we do not have the ability on our own of changing this reality. We cannot make ourselves righteous in and of ourselves. We just do not have the ability. The ability to change ourselves to be right with God. The ability to change ourselves so we are actually good people. And this is where Jesus steps in. You know, as we go through Scripture, none of us are righteous, but rather we are made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. Let me say again. So none of us are righteous, but rather we are made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. And this is the good news of the Gospel. That Jesus, God himself, the only completely innocent, holy, just, blameless and righteous person, the only one, the only one who had a right standing was God, with God was God himself. So this man, this Jesus, becomes a man. He lived the righteous life that we failed to live. He died on a cross in our place, taking our punishment for our unrighteousness. And then he rises again. He offers us righteousness now as a gift. He offers us his righteousness, his right standing with God. And the way in which we receive such a gift is by faith. It is by faith, it always has been by faith and it always will be by faith. And this is not just a New Testament thing. Paul, in that same book of Romans, says this concerning Abraham. He says this, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. This is why his faith was, and he quotes from the Old Testament saying, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. You see, because of Abraham's faith, righteousness was accounted to him. And then Paul continues, says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. You see, because it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised 
for our justification. You see, this is the message that makes Christianity unique from every other world religion or worldview on the planet. And, that, and this is this, that righteousness comes through faith. And as I said, this is not just a New Testament thing. This goes right back to Genesis. Just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, God wants us to know that it is the same for us. And that is why he wrote it down. You see, your right standing with God is not dependent on what you've done or what you continue to do or what you one day will do. It is dependent on what Christ has done. You see, you are not made righteous by going to church or reading your Bible or giving to charity or evangelizing the lost, but rather you're made righteous by faith in Christ. It is our faith that makes us righteous. And that is also our faith that then gives us hope. In those moments where we fail to do what we should, we remind ourselves that before God I am made right, not because of me, but because of Christ. You see, the secret to righteousness is understanding that you just don't have any of your own. And it is only through faith that you can receive it. But this is the beautiful thing about the gospel, because once you do receive it, you will then find yourself actually doing acts of righteousness. It's like when we put our faith in Jesus, he then gives us this new identity, his identity. And then we begin to live out of that identity so that we now begin to live Righteous lives. We begin to do that which is right before God. You see, back in our text, Simeon can be described as a righteous man because he has faith in the true God of the Bible. But not only is he a just and righteous man, he is also a devoted man. And I want you to remember these things as we go along. That Simeon was a righteous man. Simeon was also a devout man. He was devoted. And that brings the question to what are you devoted to? What is that thing that you are devoted to, that you give your energy, your time, your resources to? Earlier this week, I was talking to one of the guys from U-Turn at the, the rehab house that we get to lead a Bible study at once a week down in Broxley. And I was talking to one of the guys, he's, he's just finished the program and he's in the, the process of moving on to kind of the next step. And he was asking about our church, as he wanted to maybe potentially come and visit one week. And I was explaining that Camden is quite far away from, from Broccoli, you know, there's a little bit of a distance. And, and he, he said, and he said this, which was, I didn't really expect, but, he said, as, as far, he said something along the lines of this, as far as that is, I used to travel even further to get drugs. So now, why would I now not be willing to travel that far to spend time with Jesus and his people? You see, that young man I was talking to, he was devoted, he was just devoted to the wrong thing. And 
if, basically what he's saying, look, essentially this is what he's saying. He's saying, look, if I used to be that dedicated to my madness, to my destruction, to my addiction, how can I be less dedicated to the one who saved me? It's the same for us. I think sometimes we can, even as Christians, we're like, before we know Christ, we're devoted to this, and then we know Jesus, and then we fail to be devoted to him. He is, if anything, worthy of even more devotion. So Simeon, our man, he's a righteous man. He is a devout man. And the question is, what are you devoted to? What are you pursuing? And may I say that there is no greater pursuit than God himself. And every other pursuit will just leave us wanting. So Simeon, righteous man, a devout man. And then he says he is also a waiting man. Anybody like to wait? Anybody enjoy the process of waiting? I don't think many people would say yes to that, but God has a purpose in it. And we see here he was a waiting man. And Luke tells us that Simeon was waiting, he says, for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for the time when Israel would be comforted. And it's likely that he was anticipating or waiting for a time of redemption spoken of by the prophets in the Old Testament. A time when God, through his appointed representative, through the chosen one, through the Messiah, would bring about restoration, would bring about healing, redemption. Prophecies, perhaps like this one in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 to 3 says this, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I don't know about you, but that perhaps sounds like this consolation of Israel that Simeon is waiting for. And then should it surprise us that 30 years on from these events with Simeon, we will see not a baby Jesus, but rather an adult Jesus stand up in the synagogue, read from that very same prophecy from Isaiah 61, And then as he closes the scroll, he then has this statement, which is this. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You see, this this consolation of Israel that Simeon is waiting for is fulfilled in Jesus. Ultimately, he's waiting for Jesus. He's looking in anticipation to the day when Jesus will bring about redemption and my question is, what, what about you? Are you looking forward to his return? Are your eyes looking up, waiting for Jesus, looking to Jesus? 
Or are you solely focused on the here and now? And while we wait for his return, and Jesus always has purpose in our waiting, as we wait for Jesus' return, he has not left us alone. He has given us a helper who allows us to enjoy intimacy with Jesus now as a foretaste of what is to come. But this helper, he also equips us, he also empowers us for mission. And this helper is the Holy Spirit. In the verses we just read, we'll see, basically Simeon was a spirit-led man. So he's a, a righteous man, a devout man, a waiting man, a spirit-led man. In those verses that we just read, did you notice the third member of the Trinity? The Holy Spirit. In, in just these few verses, he's all over it. Right? He comes upon Simeon. He reveals beautiful truths to Simeon and leads him into the temple. This man's life is one marked by the Holy Spirit and God wants the same for us. To be men and women guided and led by the Spirit. And if anything, we perhaps have even greater advantage than those in the before Christ's death, resurrection and ascension because ever since the day of Pentecost, ever since that moment, the Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon us to accomplish his work, but he also now dwells inside of us. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of every believer. If you have put your trust and your faith in Jesus, it means that right here, right now, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Take Ephesians, right? It says this in Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. When you heard the gospel, and then accepted the gospel, in that moment the Holy Spirit came and took up residence inside of your heart. The Holy Spirit, as we read through Scripture, is, is God. Not just kind of some mystical kind of ghost-like figure, but a person. The third person of God, which means right now, if you are a Christian, God himself lives inside of you. Uh, the pastor, Francis Chan, says this in his book about the Holy Spirit. He says, you've probably heard this truth a hundred times, but have you marveled at it? Would you be willing just to take 30 seconds right now just to dwell on the fact that God is in you? And I must confess, I need to do this more. I can't remember the last time I did this, the last time I took the moment to truly meditate on the fact that God himself is in me. God himself. The God who has no beginning and who has no end. 
The God who sees all things and knows all things. The God who created all things and holds all things. That same God lives inside of me. And if we truly grasp that truth, how much more hope that should give us, how much more confidence it should give us, not in ourselves, but in God. Think about it, what difference this truth can make to our life if we actually chose to think and meditate and bring to mind this truth and actually believe in it. What difference it would make. How about in in the moment of temptation? When you feel that you just cannot say no to sin. What would change if you meditate on the fact that right now God himself lives inside of you? How about your quiet times, the times you set aside to spend with God? What if in that moment you begin to realise in, as you, if it's first thing in the morning as your eyes are dreary and trying to keep open or late at night when you're trying to stay awake what if you reasoned and remembered that the Holy Spirit is inside of you right in that moment as you go to work in the workplace what would change if you brought to mind that God lives inside of you when you've got a difficult customer You've just got to love retail, haven't you? How would that change? Or maybe it's at home and you have to discipline your child. Or even just you're sitting opposite a friend and you have to give good counsel because they're in a, a difficult situation. Or maybe it's in the classroom at school and you have to enter that room and put up with the teacher or the students. What would change if we really began to realise that as Christians we are not alone and as Christians God himself lives inside of us. Quoting from Francis Chan again, he says this, there is no such thing as a real believer who doesn't have the Holy Spirit or a real church without the Spirit. It's just not possible, but what is possible is that we would individually and corporately quench and hinder the Spirit's activity in and through our lives. As Christians, the issue isn't about whether we have the Holy Spirit in us or not. That isn't the issue, then if that isn't the issue, then maybe the reason we fail to see him at work in our lives as much as he could be is because at times we even fail to acknowledge he's there. By God's grace, where we no longer neglect the Holy Spirit, but rather meditate on the fact that he is inside of us. That we would begin to listen to him and acknowledge him and ultimately follow him. And as we do, as a result, I believe we will see greater intimacy with Jesus, as well as seeing him do many more things. Because one of the primary roles of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus just as he did with Simeon. In verse 26 of what we read, it says this, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Sorry, the Lord's, yeah, the Lord's Christ. 
And he came into, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child, in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. The Holy Spirit reveals to Simeon that he's going to see the Messiah. Jesus before he dies. And then he leads him into the temple just at the right time so that he can meet Jesus. And just as the Holy Spirit promised, Simeon is overjoyed when he sees Jesus. You see, Simeon is a righteous man, an example of a righteous man, a devout man, a waiting man, a a spirit-led man. But then he's also an example of a prayerful man. So in verse 28, and he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and I, I, you know, I mostly got this wrong. Chances are he just kind of held him, but I can't help but I've got a Lion King vision in there, you know, just lifting him up. It's like, man, it's Jesus. And it says in verse 28, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Simeon responds in prayer. And we're going to look specifically at that prayer in a second. But before we do, notice the nature of his prayer. And the book of Luke is full of prayer. You'll see mentioned throughout teaching on prayer and and examples of prayer. And it is this prayer, Simeon talking to God in the presence of Jesus and his parents, this prayer is a blessing to God. As Luke records, Simeon blessed God. Perhaps not something we often think of because where we often use that term the other way around, right? When we often think of the term blessing, we often think of it God blessing us. And often when we use that term, we often think materially, don't we? Or physically. Oh man, I've, I don't know, I'm trying to think of an example now. I caught the bus, I'm unblessed. <laughs> oh, I got a pay rise, I'm blessed indeed. Thankfully, God has even greater blessings than catching the bus and, and getting a pay rise. But we often don't think of it the other way, do we? This idea that we could bless God. But here, and in other places, we read just that. And the word that Luke uses could be translated as this. It can be translated as this. To speak well of, to bless, to thanks, to praise. You see, in this prayer, Simeon speaks well of God, he thanks God, he gives him praise because God, being true to his word, has allowed him to see Jesus. And I have to, I have to question my, myself and the challenge to us here is how much of our prayer life sounds like this? How much of our prayer life sounds like us thanking God, sounds like us praising God and speaking well of God? Because just like in any relationship, when one party is talking to the other and praises, thanks, speaks well of the other, it brings delight to both parties. And so it it is with God. He is blessed when we bless him and likewise so are we. Think about our own earthly relationships which are just mere reflections of God's relationships. If you take, for an example, marriage. Let's take my mum and dad, for example. A married couple. And my dad 
He's called Alf, cool guy. My mum, he's called Liz. But Alf, my dad, being a husband, is blessed when his wife gives thanks and praise and speaks well of him. And, and it's likewise the other way. And in a healthy marriage, why would a wife do that? Why would my mum do that? And would it be to gain something? No. We would say perhaps in an unhealthy marriage, it would be. You only say nice things just so you can try and convince them to do something. It's perhaps not a healthy relationship. But I think we would agree that a healthy relationship, in that example, my mum and dad, my mum giving thanks or praise or speaking well of, it is not to gain something. It's just simply because she cares about him. She enjoys him and as a result, blesses him. And then the truth is, the other way around as well. As he enjoys her, he blesses her, he speaks well of her, he thanks her. And it should be the same with us and God. But the truth is that we have even more reason to bless him. We have even more reason to thank and give praise to him. As we enjoy God, may that joy then overflow in blessing him. In saying, God, I just want to say thank you for what you've done. I want to say thank you for who you are. And this is exactly what Simeon does. Verse 29, this is our prayer. It says this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. God keeps his word. If God makes a promise, he keeps it. That's something important for us to remember. Every promise that we read, and there are many promises as we go through scripture that actually apply to us. Many promises that God through his word have given us specifically for us now as Christians. And when we come across those, we need to remember that he is going to keep them. And Simeon here is a perfect example. He knows firsthand what it is to see God keeps his promise as he sees Jesus. And as he sees Jesus... This baby, he just says, he, he then describes him as this. It says, he says this, he calls him God's salvation. He calls him a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory to the people of Israel. You see, Simeon in this, in this moment is holding the salvation of the world in his hands. Now that has got to be pretty, uh, pretty high up there on like the mo- mind-blowing moments that people have experienced. Imagine that. You know, if you think about when you hold a small child or a baby in your hands, think about it. that's what's happening to Simeon now, except for that baby that he's holding, that child that he's holding, is the saviour of the world. He is God's salvation. You see, the means of God saving us is found in a person and that person's name is Jesus. 
And this salvation is offered to all, both Jew and non-Jew. You see, the salvation is not found in and of ourselves, but it is found in Jesus. And this is a promise for both Jew and Gentile. He says, for the Gentiles, he is a light of revelation. Cool thing about that verse is, that is us. I'm sure if I were to ask or raise of hands any people, any Jewish people in the house today, I'm looking around, I think that would be a general no. We're all Gentiles. And this verse applies to us. Jesus is our light of revelation. You see, without him we are left in darkness and we are left in confusion. And if you find yourself in a dark place, and that could be emotionally, that can be spiritually, Jesus invites you to turn to him and let him be the light of your life. And as he reveals, I love that Jesus is not just our light, but he's the light of revelation. True knowledge comes from him. It comes from him revealing it to ourselves because we're human. Because our minds are finite. Because we do not, in and of ourselves, we do not have enough intelligence or just even enough wits about ourselves to be right all the time. This world and this universe is too big, too complex For us to understand it all on our own, we need somebody outside of that to reveal to us. And that's Jesus. If you want to know who you truly are, come to Jesus, who created you, who knitted you together, who sees your heart, who knows your heart better than you do. If you want to know the most important things about the world, then come to Jesus because he created it. He knows how it works. He is our light of revelation. And one of the things that he reveals to us is just how broken we are. But he doesn't just reveal how broken we are, he also reveals how able he is. They go hand in hand. Jesus reveals, man, you really are broken But then he also reveals, look, I really am able. Because light, it always overcomes darkness. Always. No matter how big the darkness, it cannot stop even the smallest of lights. For us, he is our light of revelation. And for the Jews, he is their glory. Because it is through the Jews that Jesus came. Jesus was Jewish. He was born a Jew, raised a Jew, a Jewish carpenter. He was fully Jewish. And it is through this nation of Israel, as he promised to Abraham, that he's going to bless the whole world and that includes us. And that is why it's Israel's glory. They get glory because God chose them to use them as their means to bless the whole world and that includes Ah, So right in front of us we have Simeon holding this child has, he has salvation, light, revelation and glory in his hands. And Mary and Joseph are just left stunned. It says in verse 33, 
And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. See, Mary and Joseph hear the prayer and the words of Simeon and they are left in awe. They are in awe of who Jesus is. Jesus should leave us in awe. When we truly understand and see him for who he is, how can we respond in any other way? And as I say, in in their hands as they are holding this, this child, they are holding salvation, light, revelation and glory. And this is the Jesus that we follow. And as His parents marvel. Simeon turns to them and he blesses them. Verse 34, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your your own soul also so that the faults from many hearts may be revealed. Simeon is a man who blesses God. He is also a man who blesses others. And it's the same word as used before. But this time his blessing also comes with a prophecy. Specifically for for Mary. A sword will pierce for your own soul. What is he referring to? I think in my opinion, but I think it would be safe to say it seems that right here he is referring to what is to happen at the cross. How roughly 30 years from now Jesus is going to be lifted up again, but not surrounded by choruses of blessing as we see with Simeon, but he's going to be surrounded by choruses of cursing. As He hangs nailed to the cross. Mary will live to see her own son slowly tortured to death in agony right before her very own eyes. And as a parent, for all the parents out there, I think you could perhaps identify with this, is like you could not imagine how painful that would be. Those of us who aren't parents yet, we can only begin to imagine how painful it would be to watch your child die before your very own eyes in such a way. And this is what Mary would experience so that we could be saved. But not just Mary, but God the Father also. God, as he watches his son his son whom he has had an eternal relationship with, severed. For any of us who have experienced any kind of relationship which has been severed or broken down or cut off, we can testify to the pain of that. Or we can even imagine how painful that would be to think of those most closest to us if that was to suddenly be cut off. And here we see at the cross, God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, who have this eternal relationship where they are one and yet they are also distinct. And this eternal loving relationship, which they have known for eternity, forever. I still can't get my mind around that. 
So before the, since before time, it, it, they have always had that relationship. And then in that moment on the cross, the father must turn his back on the son. Such moment of darkness, such moment of sorrow. And as we read in the account of the cross, there was physical darkness at that time. And yet God, in all of his magnificent excellence, he will take the most darkest event in all of history and use it as his means of salvation. You see, Mary's greatest moment of grief became her greatest moment of hope. Her greatest moment of grief became her greatest moment of salvation. Because just as we read in Romans, right at the beginning, in Romans chapter 4, when we're talking about Abraham, where Paul says this, it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, Jesus was nailed on a cross because of our wrongdoing, because of our sin, because of our shame, because of our guilt, taking our punishment. But then as that verse says, he then rises again so that we could be forgiven, restored, renewed and made right with God. And we receive such a gift by faith. It is through the cross we see God's salvation. It is through the cross we see our light piercing through the darkness of death and sin. It is through the cross we will see revelation where our sin is exposed but God's grace is revealed. And it is through the cross that we will see the glory of Israel. It's through the cross that we see Jesus, our salvation, light, revelation and glory. Simeon, an ageing man, is a reminder that God isn't finished with you until you breathe your last. And he is an example of a righteous man, a devoted man, a spirit-led man and a prayerful man. The kind of men and women that God desires us to be. And by the Holy Spirit's power, the kind of people we should seek to become. But Simeon, and just in closing, Simeon is only a shadow of a greater man. When you think about it, Simeon, is a shadow to Jesus who is the Son. Simeon, the shadow rather, but Jesus is the substance. Because there was no one more righteous, more devoted, more spirit-led, more prayerful than Jesus himself. And when we put our trust in him, we are forgiven for the times we failed to live like Jesus. But we are also empowered as well so that we can begin to live a righteous, a devoted, 
and a spirit a spirit led and a prayerful life and it all comes through Jesus through Jesus our example through Jesus our empowerment so as we close and as we go to prayer now may we be encouraged by this man Simeon who is an example of what it means to be an example of a righteous, devoted, awaiting man, a spirit-led man, and a prayerful man. And by God's grace, may we become such people as well. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for this little passage in which we read of this man, Simeon. Lord, I want to thank you that he is an example to us. And Lord, I pray that you would put in us a desire to become such people. To become righteous, to become, to become a waiting man, a, a, a spirit-led man, a prayerful man. People who bless you, Lord. And people who are left in awe of you and what you've done. Lord, as we go through this week, Lord, help us to remember that you live inside of us. Lord, may that, may that truth radically change how we live, how we interact with other people. May it radically change how we interact with you. Lord, may you leave us in awe. And Lord, we want to thank you, Lord, that you did become a man. And Lord, that through faith, as we put our faith in you, you you impute, you give us your righteousness as a gift. This righteousness that we couldn't earn because, as the Bible says, none of us are righteous. But rather, as we put our faith in you, you take our sin, you take our shame, and instead you give us your righteousness. And now you call us to live out of this new identity. Now I pray that we would be people who would live out this new identity in our moments of temptation and when we've made mistakes help us to remember that it is your righteousness that has made us right and yes Lord you want us to live different lives Lord but the truth is we are at times going to fail and we thank you that your grace is there when we do fail to pick us up but Lord we also want to, say, we want to, say, we want to thank you for your grace Lord because it also changes us so we don't have to fail so we don't have to continue to make the same sinful choices that we used to. But rather we can be new and changed people. People of prayer. People who are led by you. People who bless you and bless others. People who are available to be led by your spirit. So Lord, may you make us such people. Lord, may we never, may we not forget these truths, but continue to meditate on them, that they would change and impact our lives. So Lord, we once again thank you for this time and what you have done for us on the cross, Jesus. And may we be like Simeon, overjoyed and looking forward to that day when we come face to face with you again, Jesus. So Lord, bless us and keep us as we leave here today. In your name we pray. Amen.